Hey there, nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. This week, we are really, really close to the end of our season, season two. So in honor of that, we are offering a discount code for our merch store. If you visit our merch store at www.thebirdiebunchpodcast.com, click on support us and, and click on merch, you can find some really amazing new merchandise, including a new design which we're releasing with some spring migrants and a 70-themed inspired design. So take a look at that. You can use the discount code SEASON2. That's SEASON, S-E-A-S-O-N, and to the number for 15% off anything at our store. So give it a check out. Again, that code is SEASON2, S-E-A-S-O-N, 2 as in the number. So www.thebirdywinchpodcast.com. But with that all out of the way, nature lovers, let's get into it. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything conservation, education, and fascination. My name is CJ, and I'm joined by my two good friends and co-hosts. I'm Brittany. And I think that makes me mad. It does. It does, in fact, make you mad. How are we doing this week, folks? Well, it's getting to be close to the end of the semester, which feels really good and real weird at the same time, but I'm not complaining. It's been a long one, so looking forward to it. We're just trying to enjoy the spring weather. It's been, been pretty nice here, and so trying to get out and hang out with the dog as much as possible. Um, go on lots of hikes, see some birds, see some wildlife. It's been a good time. Oh, yeah? See some birds? What kind of birds are you seeing, Brittany? Don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. <laughs> just don't do it. I mean, the simple I, solution is just not say it, and then nobody would bring it up. I will say, actually, that's not true. I can't actually say. Um, we have a barred owl that likes to hang out, and it's one of mine and Adam's favorite things to do is to go sit out um, in our backyard and just listen to him who, him or her who, uh, and just. Who, who cooks for him, Brittany? You know, he, he won't tell us who. Do you get it? No, can you explain it to me? <laughs> <laughs> so, what's is it like? Is it a mnemonic? Is that yes, a mnemonic. Yeah. So, like the way to remember the the bird's call is called a mnemonic, and for the barred owl, their call sounds like this: "Who cooks for you?" And that's what their call sounds like. So that's uh, why I asked, "Who cooked for you? Who cooked for them?" Yeah, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Now you know, um, so you can you can listen yeah. when they're I asking will, who cooks for them. I might I might respond to them actually, but you both have turned Adam into an avid birder, and so every time we're driving, no matter what, he like has to point out every single bird. He goes on eBirder to log it to like try to make sure he was right. We were driving when we were driving down to Florida. We saw um we were pretty sure was a red tailed hawk. And he was like, I don't know. There's been none sighted in this area. I'm like, just because there wasn't they weren't logged like doesn't mean it wasn't there. And we were I'm like pretty positive it was a red tailed hawk, but I could also be wrong. But anyway, big exciting things. Um he loves it. So well, I'm I'm very glad that Adam is uh 
being converted. You're next, Brittany. That's what it means. It means you're I'm next. More, I'm way more converted than what I was before <laughs> I joined the Brittany Bunch podcast because I could care. Not that I could care less, but it just wasn't my thing. Yeah. You know? Super valid. Super valid. Um, I've been okay this week. I'm actually getting ready to go out of town next week. Next week, and I'll talk about this more once I get back, but next week I'm going to be going to the biggest week in American birding, and I'm going to meet some of uh, our friends who have been on the podcast. So no spoilers for that, but we'll chat more about that next week. With that all out of the way, let's move into our first segment, The Creature Feature. So our creature that we are featuring this week is kind of a uh, board game gonna fly. These little birds are actually known as a flying checkerboard. Um, And I am talking about none other than the red-headed woodpecker. They're called a flying checkerboard because they have an entirely red head or crimson head and a snowy white body. Um, And then they have these half black wings. And they don't really look like most other woodpeckers. Um, And they don't really quite act like most woodpeckers. So they've got some really unique ways of catching their food and hunting for their food. Um, So these little critters actually have been able to adapt to catching insects mid-air. And um, they'll also, which is, it's really cute, they'll hide extra foods in tree crevices for later and kind of come back to them. So they'll, besides insects, they'll also eat acorns and and, uh, beech nuts. So um, they kind of stow things away almost like a squirrel for later, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, they uh, have their populations have declined in the past few years. Um, and that's just because of loss of habitat and loss of food and things like that. But it's really kind of exciting because they're kind of found all across the East Coast going towards um, like the Midwest. And so you can find them in um, Illinois and, and here in Missouri and, and Ohio. But they are actually pretty common in, we're talking about birding a bunch this episode thus far. And they will actually come and visit feeders, especially in the winter, because they like to eat the seeds and the corn, all of that stuff that you will, um, and fruit that you normally put in a winter feeder. And so they are pretty, with being able to store food, they uh, will do it in little crevices or in the wood and the bark. Um, but they'll also hide insects in there, which is kind of funny. And uh, they actually will store insects that are still alive. So they'll store grasshoppers and stuff like that. Um, but they'll wedge them into these little crevices that the grasshoppers can't get out of. So it's like a little snack for later. So I kind of talked a little bit at the beginning of our creature feature with the fact that they're known as a flying checkerboard, but they also have other names as well. And so they'll go by nicknames like half a shirt, shirt tail bird, jelly coat, flag bird. And then of course, like I talked about earlier, the flying checkerboard. And so these little, little woodpeckers are just so special and unique. And um, I 
hope you all got to see some, hopefully maybe visit your feeders this winter, but uh, make sure to kind of keep your eye out for them all year long. Yeah, so the red-headed woodpecker is really one of my favorite birds, especially because like from a local at school standing point, it's one that's been largely a huge conservation success that I've seen with the professor that I work with. So redheaded woodpeckers really like kind of like old growth. Like it's it's a really interesting kind of like ecosystem, I guess. It's like old growth forest, but also like every single time that I see them hanging out in a place, it's always these really barren looking forests. So like kind of like cypress looking swamp and stuff like that, where you have really tall, thin trees with not a lot of foliage. And like here I see them actually in a lot of dead tree stands, which is really interesting, which is where they'll breed, at least by me. And so like that's largely, you know, there's not a lot of that ecosystem left just in America, you know, and so that's big reason, you know, Brittany alluded to there being habitat lost and that's really a big part of it. But in the past couple of years, um, Dave and I have noticed there's a stand within the state park that I work at, Houston Wood State Park, that now continually hosts breeding redheaded woodpeckers and they have young ones every year. And so like it's been cool to see that like even though this is a bird that we've lost a lot of we're kind of, I don't want to say we're seeing a return from that because countrywide, that's not really the case, but it is nice to see that like they're still surviving and like they're still happening. And like, it's such a beautiful, first of all, it's a gorgeous bird, but it's also just a beautiful example of how resilient nature is and how like it isn't that hard to prioritize conservation. You know, just a little tree stand, one little part of an entire ecosystem is enough it's really really cool and i love seeing them and i love showing people them because like your first time seeing that bird you're like oh shit you know like that is it's a bird you remember and it's really 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 cool to get so many people experiencing this particular bird yeah the red-headed woodpecker is definitely a uh, very notable bird i can think of you know just the few times that i've seen it appear in you know outside of chicago you know, it's it's a really special occasion to see a red-headed woodpecker. And uh, the red-headed woodpecker is actually uh, on the logo for the Georgia Audubon, um, which is where our guest for today is uh, hailing to us from, is Georgia. So uh, we'll get more into that in a little bit. But for now, let's jump into our next segment, The Current Events. <music> Okay, so my current event is another article. I know, right? I'm sure you're sick of hearing them now. But another article from Manga Bay, um, written by Sue Branford and published on April 6th, titled GM Fish Engineered to Glow in the Dark Are Found in Brazil Creeks. And this one stuck out in my eyes because one thing that people probably don't know about me is that I really, really love aquaculture. I love aquarium keeping. I think it's super duper cool. Always have. I have a big old tank back um, home home in Naperville, Illinois, a 55 gallon freshwater. And I've always loved it. I've loved it a lot. And one thing I remember seeing even just like as a, a wee young lad was these 
fish called glowfish. And so glowfish are a, there are a couple different species under like the glowfish umbrella. The predominant one is zebrafish or zebra danios. Those are really, really easy, hardy fish to keep. In fact, it's a fish that because of that is largely used in like experimentation and stuff because it's just a really hardy fish. But basically what people did is in order to make these fish more attractive because they're really common in the aquarium trade, scientists and researchers genetically engineered a strain of it that glowed. And that's where they get their name glowfish. And they did this by splicing in jellyfish and sea anemone genomes specifically for the bioluminescence for not like the the glowing aspect of it and so they are engineered to fluoresce and they're really popular because of that right they're super bright they're super flashy they're super pretty but also they're super hardy because they still retain that original zebrafish kind of genome and hardiness and so they're really bright fish that kids can keep and you know they really love that a lot now brazil has banned these fish ever since 2017 because they are highly concerned about the spread of this non-native this genetically engineered non-native fish through all their creeks and all that through their rivers Brazil has a really robust fish population that is also really, really, really largely at risk of being invaded by non-natives. And so the Atlantic forest, a really threatened biome in Brazil, is now, according to scientists, at risk to these guys as well. They found this non-native fish existing in their biomes specifically after trying to ban them and so this is largely concerning especially to brazilian scientists because these fish they're concerned will outcompete the native strain and create a scenario where they don't have natural predators so you get a huge spread of this non-native genetically modified fish and is of a deep concern to scientists. This is already a controversial fish and is steeped in controversy, especially with the FDA. And that kind of brings me to the controversy surrounding the fear of this article that was published just recently. Because while the Brazilian scientists are really concerned about it and have published like work that is deeply concerned about it, the US FDA, when these fish were brought to market, was like, uh, probably not a big deal. And then studies from Purdue University in the US kind of in 2015 tried to point towards that same conclusion. And so what they did was these researchers tried to breed both wild type and glowfish zebrafish for a very large, large scale experiment. They studied more than 18,000 of these individuals. And what they found was that the female zebrafish preferred the glowfish, but the non-glowfish, the wild males, were more aggressive. And so, according to the researchers, won out in the breeding game. So because of that study confirming seemingly that there was no threat from these non-wild type glowfish, the, the, the predominant 
theory about it since is that it's not a big deal, whatever, doesn't matter. Basically, what they said was like, because even if they're preferred, they're being beaten out by the wild time males, it's not a huge problem. And that brings us to this controversy because someone who studied this in this lab setting actually basically and i'll 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 quote um what it says but the scientists on this study said that the new research is almost a study about nothing and that they got it published in a high quality journal just because it's sensational and it's kind of points to i think a problem that i have with that kind of predominant thought because first of all the research that was done in 2015 is a lab study and while lab studies are incredibly important i know so many people who are doing them it's very risky to automatically condemn outdoor research right it's you don't know you've never seen the interaction in the wild you can control variables in the lab like the scientist who's on the side of the Brazilian says like you can control variables in a lab that aren't controllable in the wild. So that already there is a huge thing. But the other problem that I have with it is that science is a largely collaborative effort and scientists who clearly have stake in the game, for example, you know, this experiment was theoretically to concern or confirm the rulings by the FDA. If you have stake in the game, you can't, it does to me, it doesn't read as impartial and science is objectively inherently objective. And so by attacking things with such a critical basis for no other reason I don't know. It really read me and rubbed me the wrong way. I think largely that it should be hugely important that you keep non-native things out of the wild, even if you're weary or if you're leery about the fact that it might cause implications. Because it only takes one species to take over. We've seen that with pythons. We've seen that with starlings. We've seen that with house sparrows. We've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. It only takes one. And so you can't slip up. So to me, the conflict surrounding this is much ado about nothing. Because who cares what you found in the lab? Because if you're right and the Brazilian scientists are wrong, but you still keep the fish out, nothing changes. But if you're right and the Brazilian or the Brazilian scientists are right and you let the fish in, well, that causes a world of hurt. And so what is the most economical decision? I would say just keep the fish out, prioritize keeping the fish out and stop squabbling over stupid minutia. Thank you for coming to my TED talk about how scientific discourse can be so freaking toxic sometimes. We're all fighting for the same thing. Squabbling doesn't fix it. I think it's a really interesting point that like it it in just your statement of like nothing changes if they just keep them in the land in the lab, but like everything changes if you don't. 
um, potentially if you don't, right? I think that it can be a slippery slope sometimes to say that like, lab, like when you do things in lab, it needs to stay in lab because there's so many, there, there are other scenarios where that, that, that might not always be the case. Right. But I, I think it's, we talked, we talked a lot about like, we, we had a whole like a whole episode about social media and just media in general and how it can portray portray things and kind of affect things. And it's the same when we talk about like big fauna and things like that, or like polar bears and penguins and, and, and that type of stuff, when there's some type of like connection to it or wow factor. And the fact that they are like more, they're brighter colored or whatever it is, like it brings in that additional wall factor and it, it, it tends to kind of impact native wildlife in some negative connotation. I'll be curious to see what comes of this though and see what is ultimately decided. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting one. You know, we, we talk, like Brittany, you mentioned, we, t we talk a lot about our influence over conservation through media, through science, and um, Matt, like you mentioned, science inherently should be unbiased, and that's definitely not what we're seeing here. So I feel like this is just a really interesting story that, as you both mentioned, I would love to see continue to develop. Maybe we can circle back to this one if there's an update, Matthew. Mm. Yeah, I would, I would, I would like to, and I'm going to keep an eye on this because I do not necessarily have a stance that I currently agree on because I think. I have to look into the whole scenario a little bit more, but I think commentary from both sides is largely indicative of a problem that I have just with general society, science in society. And that's like, we spend so much time squabbling with each other that we lose sight of the, the larger implicative decisions that are being made. And so it's, that's, what's weary for me. It's like, who cares? Who cares? Who cares? Don't do it. I don't risk it in my eyes, but you know what? That's just me too. Yeah. I, again, I, I think that I also second that. I'm sure that Brittany also seconds that. So, you know, it's, we'll have to, we'll have to come back to this one. I think that's super, super interesting. Any other thoughts on this current event team? Cause this one, I feel like we could talk about for a whole episode. There's enough to talk about. I don't think so. I think we can kind of swing on over to our next thing. Oh, swing on over to our next thing. I guess we will. So now we're going to jump into our main topic. Let's jump to that now. So we're here now with a good friend of the podcast, Gabe. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you guys for inviting me. So happy to invite you to the Brady Witch Podcast. Thanks, thank you so much for accepting our offer to be here. Um, well, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us about you. So my name is Gabe Anderley, and uh, I use the pronouns he, him. I'm originally from the Chicagoland area, uh, but I have been in Georgia for almost 10 years now. And I came down here for school and have been down here ever since, but Grew up in the Chicagoland area in um, a near west suburb, and uh, I've always been in love with nature. And because of that, I am a big fan of the Birdie Bunch podcast, and I'm excited to be here. 
But since I migrated south to Georgia, I've been um, trying to get involved as much as I can in the nature scene, spending as much time as I can outside. And I've been lucky enough to be able to work in an environmental related job. So currently working at Georgia Audubon and I do habitat work uh, with Georgia Audubon, trying to improve habitats for birds and connect people to birds and the amazing natural systems and places where birds can be found, which is pretty much everywhere. So that's a little bit about me, but yeah, really excited to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you. Um, before we kind of get too far into today's topic, I just want to do a quick land acknowledgement for uh, the city we're going to be talking about. So we're going to be talking a lot about Atlanta, like you said. And Atlanta is the ancestral home of the Muscogee people as well as the Cherokee people. And, you know, just it's, it's nice to acknowledge that this land isn't just the, the white settlers who came there. Um, so now that we kind of have that, you know, a lot of the work that we're talking about is these natural landscapes, these beautiful spaces. Atlanta, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gabe, is called the city in the forest. Is that right? Yeah. So that's uh, actually one of the very first things I noticed when I came down to Georgia and, and came to Atlanta being, you know, from the Chicagoland area, very flat up there and uh, a lot less trees uh, here in Georgia. There are just a lot of trees, especially around Atlanta. We're the city in the forest and just the amount of green this time of year is unbelievable. Just everything just turns green super quick and everything grows really quickly. And uh, yeah, I've gotten into plants a lot more since I've been down here and that's probably a big reason why. Love that. So I know CJ was talking a little bit about just like Atlanta and things like that. And um, can you talk to us a little bit more about Atlanta's like natural history and kind of compared it to Chicago growing up in Chicago, kind of compare the two. Yeah. All right. So Atlanta is definitely, like I said, the city in the forest. And here in Atlanta, we are in the Piedmont, which is the foothills of the mountains. Atlanta is positioned really nicely in the state. It's kind of, you know, it's in the northern part, but the state of Georgia is really first from a uh, natural history perspective and um, geographically located. You know, we have the mountains up in North Georgia and then we have the coast. We have the very large coastal plain and then the Piedmont is where Atlanta is. And it's very forested. And Atlanta is kind of positioned in a really unique location um, nestled between uh, some rivers that turn into some of our largest rivers in the state. So we have the Chattahoochee River, which comes from up north and cuts right through Atlanta. And it's a really awesome river, um, heavily connected with trails. And there's a lot of access to that river. And a lot of people spend time on the river. And tons of migratory birds use, use that river um, throughout migration. And so it's a great place to go bird watching. But we also have uh, two slightly lesser known rivers, at least in the Atlanta area. We have the Flint River and the South River, which both come out basically right out of the Atlanta airport, both of them. One goes underneath the Atlanta airport, which is one of the largest and busiest airports in the world. And you have these rivers that go in opposite directions. One ends up spitting out into the Atlantic Ocean. One goes all the way to uh, the Caribbean. And so 
we're right on the continental divide actually uh you can you know pour water on one side of the street uh and DeKalb avenue and it'll go out to the atlantic and one will go to the caribbean and so um yeah so it's kind of neat from that perspective we have these rivers that kind of uh come through and out of atlanta and um and then being further south than chicago one thing that drastically affects what we see here is the fact that the glaciers did not come all the way down and where Atlanta is today. And so there was a lot of life that um, was able to persist uh, while the glaciers were, were um, around during the last ice age. And so that led to a lot of life that has persisted and a lot of biodiversity that we have here. And that can be seen really well in a lot of our freshwater habitats in, in North Georgia and stuff. We have an unreal amount of diversity when it comes to freshwater fish and crayfish and mollusks and uh, salamanders and all sorts of really cool stuff. Turtles. Um, unfortunately, I don't think we can take the crown. Alabama beats us out for a lot of it, but Georgia shares a lot of that amazing biodiversity. And so, yeah, I love living in Atlanta because we're positioned so nicely. I can go right up to the mountains or I can go to the coast and we're kind of sandwiched in between that. So we get species that can be found in both along with a lot of other species that, you know, can be found in the Eastern US. Many species, you know, we share with Chicago, but it's definitely a lot hillier than, than Chicago. And then another really big difference uh, that I've, I've come to know is the lack of uh, large natural bodies of fresh water. So up in Chicago, obviously you have the Great Lakes and a lot of other natural um, uh, bodies of water that are fresh water. Um, but here in Georgia, there really are very, very few. Most of our large bodies of water are dammed rivers or uh, you know reservoirs. And that definitely affects my birding, which is something I, I love to do. Uh, but we really have to search for certain species. Like I did this birding challenge last month and I was looking for a northern shoveler and I had to search far and wide and eventually found one at a reservoir. Um, but that's probably the one thing that we're lacking in Atlanta is, is large natural bodies of fresh water um, that aren't rivers. But yeah, that's a little bit about Atlanta, a little context on kind of where we are from a geographical standpoint. And, and of course, geology dictates all the life that you're going to see yeah being in uh it, it's funny you bring that up being currently in landscape ecology um not by choice by necessity as a grad student but it is really interesting to hear how the eco region is so differently dominated by uh just the geology and the state factors and you know what the actual terrain and what the the place is and how that dominates wildlife and really dictates what you can find there and I know you kind of touched upon it already, but I also did just want to ask because I'm a birder, but I um, understand that you are very particularly into birding and herping. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what is, you know, what is, what is the birding and herping like down in Atlanta? You know, what are some of your favorite, you know, spots or favorite species to see out there? Like, you know, how do you spend your free time out, you know, in the recreational wilderness of Atlanta? Yeah. 
I guess really quick before I jump into that, you, you know, you mentioned the geology and I just want to point this out for all nature lovers. If you're spending time outside, this is something that I am learning every single day more and more. You know, I started really, you know, as most, as most people do, but not everybody, most people like really get attracted to like the really cool flashy animals um, that have awesome stories and can do the biggest and, and largest, fastest, you know, that sort of stuff. But as you learn about these animals and the habitats that they're found in, then you start to learn about how they rely on certain aspects of those habitats. And that's gotten me really into plants and, and the importance of native plants. And then from there, you learn that the plants are dictated by the soil and the sediment and the rocks. And so I can see myself, I predict that, you know, I'm going to learn more and more about geology and geology is really going to paint some allow for me to make some really cool connections and understand things on a landscape scale um, even even better. And so if you are um, a nature lover who wants to decide and understand the natural, you know, history and natural landscapes, then learning geology and plants, I think, is, is really uh, critical. And it's definitely boring at first. But I think there's a lot of ways you can make it fun. And once you start to realize all the different connections that there are, you, you become addicted and, and probably will go down a rabbit hole. But that's, that's that point. In terms of uh, birding and herping in Atlanta, I definitely do as much as I can. And I absolutely love it. I am definitely herp first and bird second. At least that's how I, I kind of grew up. I've always been really interested in reptiles and amphibians. Uh, but over the past five years or so, I've really um, gone head over heels for birds, specifically because birds, I think, do an amazing job of connecting or allowing us to make connections to the widest uh, array of people um, and places because birds are everywhere. They're in your face. Um, and there are very few people that really, really don't like birds. Uh, and I think they're yeah, they're just fascinating. It's easy to connect people to them. Uh, and the birding community is certainly unique. And so it's definitely drawn me in. And um, yeah, herping and birding in Atlanta. Well, I'm pretty much just always on the go trying to get out as much as I can. And uh, we definitely have a lot uh, to, to see and do. So um, let's see. I try to do as much of both as I can. And it's not always easy because usually herps are on the ground and birds are in the air. And uh, this is a lot uh, forced me um, to get better at birding by ear. And actually in Atlanta, it, it really is important to learn your calls um, and songs because we are the city in the forest and seeing birds can be really difficult. That is one really big difference between here in the Chicagoland area where you have a lot more woodlands and prairies, um, getting your eyes on birds can be really tough. And so uh, I do a lot of birding by ear and I'm not superb, but I, I'd say I'm pretty good at it. And I really enjoy it too, because I like, I also like running and exercising and, um, you know, multitasking and being able to identify birds by, by sound is just so much fun. And who doesn't like impressing their friends by calling out, you know, nerding out with the bird sounds and the calls and songs and and confusing yourself and then every migration relearning some of the songs um and so yeah that's one thing that atlanta has definitely forced me to do 
But one of the biggest differences is the herp diversity. Here we have uh, so many herps and they're literally like all over the place. Um, you can really easily find king snakes and copperheads in, in most Atlanta backyards. Um, and so that's been really appealing to me. I definitely wasn't as into snakes growing up in the Chicagoland area. I was really focused on frogs and, and turtles. And coming down here, uh, the snake world completely opened up to me and I've become addicted to finding snakes and setting out artificial cover like tin to help me find snakes. And it's just a lot of fun um, where you can, yeah, you can go into your backyard or you can go to a lot of the amazing green spaces that we have here in Atlanta. Um, and we really do have, I mentioned the rivers earlier, we have the Chattahoochee National Recreation Area, which is run through the national park system. And there's quite a few parks that are along the Chattahoochee there that are amazing for both herping and birding. We have really unique um, grouping of rock outcrops, these large granite rock outcrops called Monadnox. And they are a really unique geological feature that basically is like a desert in, in Georgia. They're these really open, um, sun-beaten granite rock outcrops that have really unique plants and uh, we have a couple large well-known parks, state parks and such um, that encompass these really unique geological features. And I've been fascinated. We have some work projects there, but just getting out to going there and, and observing the plant life and the birds and the herbs. And um, you get certain herbs like there's coach whips and eastern hognose snakes, potential for northern snakes, which is extremely rare um, in these types of habitats and pygmy rattlesnakes and all sorts of stuff that just kind of show up in, in little pockets here and there. Um, and then we also have places like Kennesaw Mountain, which is um, sort of nationally known as a as amazing place for seeing warblers um, in the spring. And that is just outside Atlanta. And I have not spent enough time there as I need to. I still need to find my cerulean warbler lifer, um, but I am working on it. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I'm always super busy. And then like I've, you know, every year I learn new things about how to hurt better or how to bird better. Um, and I try and share that as much as I can with people, you know, connect with, with people, make videos about it. And, um, and I do a lot of road cruising for, for snakes. I really didn't do that much in Chicago because in Chicago, I really wasn't connected to the herping community as much as I am down here. Uh, road cruising for snakes is basically driving slowly, oftentimes at night um, and trying to see what snakes you can find out on the roads. And uh, around Atlanta, well, at least in Atlanta, you roads you can safely cruise because of the Atlanta traffic. But if you go just outside the perimeter of Atlanta, you can start to find some roads that are worthwhile uh, to slowly cruise along and find some uh, reptiles and amphibians during, you know, certain times of year and, and different weather. Um, yeah, so that's kind of general herping and birding in Atlanta. So I mentioned that I really got more into snakes and looking for snakes in the wild. Um, since I have come down to Atlanta and kind of embraced the herping community that's down here. And one snake in particular that uh, seems to be um, tough to find, but really rewarding and you can sort of figure it out, but can't always get it just 
down is the eastern king snake and um, it's a beautiful black and white snake sometimes with some yellowish um, and this is in the genus Lampropeltis. It um, is known for eating other snakes. People like to call it a good snake because it eats the venomous snakes. Although we all know here that there's no such thing as a good or a bad snake. Um, and so it's a really, really neat snake. And like I said earlier, it can be found pretty much in any Atlanta backyard, but they are tough to find. If you go out and say, I'm gonna find a king snake today, good luck. Um, and so it took me a long time to find my first king snake. And I'd spent a lot of time just going out with friends, um, going to places where we'd look under um, pieces of tin or old, you know, broken down houses, which are good places to usually find snakes. Um, I put in a lot of hours and eventually I was out one day and one place that I really like to uh, explore is power line cuts. So power line cuts are really cool, you know, where you have big electrical wires. Um, and sometimes there's parks that encompass power line cuts or maybe someone's backyard. And the cool thing about those places is that they encompass, you know, an edge habitat. Edge habitat's an amazing place to find wildlife. You have uh, one habitat abutting up to another one. And oftentimes here in Atlanta, it's forest meets grassland. And there are a lot of naturally occurring grassland remnants in Atlanta and the Georgia Piedmont and throughout the Southeast. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of them have not been managed really well. And uh, they have, well, many of them have disappeared. But in these power line cuts, you can find some remnants. Sometimes you find really unique plants. And, um, and so I really like enjoy exploring those. And I was walking through um, a power line cut and happened upon a big pile of, of trash and trash for herpers is something exciting because um, we can look through it and, and hopefully find some snakes or, or other critters. Um, and this is definitely uh, not a, um, you shouldn't go and throw trash out into the woods as many people do. Um, but if you get the opportunity to, to find some trash, um, and I'm not talking just like garbage bags of, you know, all sorts of, it's usually old buildings and stuff. Um, and this particular power line cut had, had a, a big carpet that I found and I looked underneath that carpet and there was an Eastern King snake and I was so excited. It's a species that spends a lot of time underground. And so the best way to usually find them is by looking underneath things, although I find them basking. Um, but it was just an exhilarating moment because it was this power line cut that had this view of the skyline in the background. And it was just such an awesome Atlanta moment. And, um, so I got to hang out there. Um, take some photos of that snake and then release it right back under under that carpet and, and just let it let it live its life there. And so that really, you know, that's one example of, of the many snakes that have driven me to continuously look for the amazing um, um, snakes that we have around Atlanta and, and in Georgia. I thank you for sharing that because it's like you painted like the perfect picture because all i can see is you like getting so excited about this like sun beautiful sunset or something like in georgia just happening um which is awesome can you tell us a little bit about like conservation efforts in georgia and kind of what those are like and what what you see in part of it too if you want to share a little bit more about that yeah, absolutely. So I came down to Georgia for school, as I mentioned, 
And we have a lot of great universities that are involved doing research and have a lot of students that are, are involved doing kind of um, natural history and ecology related work. Uh, and so that is a, a sort of group that I've, I've been able to get plugged into and learn from and have friends that have gone through schools and stuff down here. Um, but we also have a lot of other great uh, professional organizations in the state, both nonprofits and state run. Uh, we have the zoos and aquariums. So yeah, the Georgia Aquarium is an absolutely amazing place. Uh, definitely worth a visit whenever you come to it, Atlanta. Uh, so Atlanta is is a, a place near and dear to my heart. Um, and that uh, is another amazing, amazing zoo. It's a nice medium-sized zoo. It's not as large as some of the other ones and not super tiny. And it's a, it's a great um, day trip. Uh, and then we have, let's see. Um, we also have a lot of great nature centers and uh, our state park system is really great. Uh, the Chattahoochee Nature Center, um, the Fernbank Natural History Museum is, is a place that I have uh, worked at and has an awesome old growth forest that you can go and see um, in the city. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of organizations that are doing some great work. And so I have to mention Georgia Audubon, which is the organization I, I work with, obviously. Uh, there's Trees Atlanta, um, the Amphibian Foundation, lots of awesome um, organizations that are focused on the environment. And I don't know, there's just so much to cover. Because we have, you know, I mean, we have Atlanta-focused stuff and we have Georgia-focused stuff. So while I was a senior in school um, in Atlanta, I was trying out what I wanted to do with my life and I was very interested in ecology and the outdoors and I originally wanted to be a vet like most people that are interested in animals. I had some field experiences abroad that I was really fortunate to uh, be a part of and I got to work with some vets closely and realized it's not what I wanted to do every single day and so then I decided all right I'm just gonna take classes that really interest me and do things that really interest me and it was a great decision uh, because I got a lot better and I ended up getting to work with a lot of really cool organizations. So last year I was uh, in school. I uh, got involved with three organizations in Atlanta. I got involved with Amphibian Foundation, Fernbank Natural History Museum, and Zoo Atlanta. And Atlanta is chock full of bunch of really great environmental organizations and I have come to appreciate more and more of them and learn about more and more of them throughout my career. And so I got involved with these organizations and really got some awesome experience and practical skills. And after graduating, um, these experiences led me to get a position at Sioux Atlanta where I worked with reptiles and amphibians and that eventually led to a full-time job in the bird department. Uh, and that really um, really launched my career and, and opened my eyes to the amazing powers that birds have in connecting people to uh, nature. Uh, because they're, like I said, they're all over the place and they're interesting and they're just intriguing, they're fascinating. And so, um, yeah, I, I kind of fell into the bird world that way and got plugged into, you know, um, getting outside and looking for birds and, and learning as much as I could about the birds that were around me in Atlanta and, 
and searching for them along the rivers and trying to find bodies of water to find different species. Uh, but at the same time, I was plugged into an awesome organization that was doing conservation work across the world and, and helping a bunch of different species. And one thing that I really wanted um, to focus on was the, the native species, the species that were in our backyards. And so I, I ended up working on a grant um, that was in partnership with the Atlanta Audubon Society, uh, another organization that I got to get to know and, and, and start working with. And, and we started doing some awesome conservation work focused on planting native plants for birds at the zoo. Um, putting decals on windows to prevent birds from colliding with the windows. Atlanta's actually has the fourth most amount of, of collisions in the fall every year for, for birds. And so birds don't really understand glass. They, they haven't had glass for, you know, they, they don't understand the cues of glass. And so unfortunately birds can crash into glass and get injured or die. And so um, we've been doing stuff to, to protect birds in that way. And then just educating people and connecting people to what they can find in their own backyard. And so that really, really got me excited about, about native wildlife because it's, you know, at your fingertips and um, you have access to, to it. Everybody can go out and, and see and find stuff. And uh, that led me to being really interested in, in getting involved with a, an organization that was focused more on native wildlife. And so I found myself then at Atlanta Audubon Society, which became Georgia Audubon. And um, yeah, soon I found myself interacting with more organizations through my job. I uh, got to know a bunch of uh, great um, groups that are doing conservation work in Atlanta, from Trees Atlanta to the Chattahoochee Nature Center, um, the state park system, the Department of Natural Resources has become uh, um, an institution that I work with really closely and a lot of my habitat work, uh, which you know is critical because it's the number one cause for um, so much of our species decline across the globe. And so, uh, yeah, I have, I've really enjoyed kind of my journey um, with herps and birds and everything else and now plants. Um, here in Atlanta and getting connected with, you know, the different organizations that are, are here doing work. That's yeah. so awesome. I, I, I really love hearing all your fun stories and I am constantly uh, looking forward to having fun conversations with you. So thank you so much for sharing all this awesome stuff about Atlanta. I, uh, spoilers, I'm going to be coming to Atlanta and I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to you to go herping with you. So get excited. No, um, please do. We'll be able to find lots of cool stuff. You I'm, could go birding as well. I mean, that's... I, I, you know what? I can bird here. Bird, herping here, way less interesting. <laughs> I've always, I've always like, is it, is it herding or burping? Like, I... <laughs> burping. <laughs> I like burping good. a lot. <laughs> burping. I like burping that's a lot. good content. That's very funny. All right, we're going to go burping when you come, CJ. <laughs> I'm down, Gabe. I'm down. You mentioned very briefly, Gabe. Don't think I missed it. You mentioned very briefly that you would post a video about something. Um, tell us where people can find you. Yeah, so people can find me at Nature with Gabe on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook. I have a um, kind of just presence where I try and post whenever I can. It's not super consistent right now, but hopefully it will be more and more. But I make videos, I take photos, I do nature quizzes on my Instagram stories. Those quizzes are some of my favorite things. 
those quizzes are some from them. Quizzes. I learn from them every single time because they're like, so good. Ninety five percent of the time, I'm wrong. So That's okay, <laughs> but so I am learning. It's great. It's fantastic. I love them. Yeah, so they're, they're a good. lot of fun. I, it's a great way to yeah engage and connect with the connect with the folks. But definitely feel free to follow, comment, like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. Press and, all the um, buttons. Press all the buttons. Yeah, and actually, I'm hoping that I'll have a video edited that features a birdie bunch um, individual. Uh, wow. So you'll have to wait and find out who that's going to be. Um, yeah, no but I'm hoping to have that up sometime in this spring. So it should be some next couple <laughs> weeks. That's very, very exciting. Um, well, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the next time we get to connect, Gabe. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Birdie Bunch podcast. We've loved having you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's pleasure i love listening to the podcast we're excited to be on here and definitely anybody who wants to come down to georgia and um see some really cool herps and birds and plants and all sorts of stuff you could spend weeks here and you'd still be seeing new cool stuff so feel free to yeah. come visit awesome well before i before we kind of officially wrap up i also wanted to plug you are currently one of our patrons gabe so thank you also for being our patron on Patreon. We really appreciate you. <laughs> Absolutely. Very happy to be a patron and hopefully we can get more patrons. Um, you guys we hope so. We hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Let's uh, head back to the rest of the episode now. That was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Gabe, for coming on the podcast. And uh, thank you for being a supporter of us on Patreon. I'm going to mention it right now. We usually touch on it a little bit later. But Gabe is actually one of our patrons, which is amazing. So if you visit patreon.com slash the Birdie Bunch podcast, you can uh, also sign up to be a patron of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We have a bunch of really amazing tiers of support. And you get some really awesome perks, including watching the video of this podcast, getting a shout out on this podcast. And depending on the tier you sign up for, you can even get an extra podcast a month. So definitely sign up for that. We do some really awesome stuff uh, on there. But uh, we also do other stuff on our social media. Where can y'all be found on the social meds? You can find me on Instagram at the Brittany Bunch, T-H-E-B as in Brittany, <laughs> R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, underscore B as in boy, U-N-C-H. Um, and I post kind of irregularly. I try to, I post a lot more on my stories, just trying to promote things. But I'm going to, I'm trying to post a little bit more often. Um, but yeah, you can find me there. And you can find me on Instagram at Matt Valiga, M-A-T-T-V as in Victor, A-L-I-G-A. As in, hey, he hasn't posted anything in a long time. And you know, dear listener, that's right. Well, <laughs> school's coming to a close, Matt. School's coming to a close. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, a... And then immediately work becomes to an open. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I will try and document my field season a little bit because I know a lot of people are interested in about the work. I Yeah, do. everybody loves seeing your field break. stuff. That's true. Maybe we can get so, another science breakdown with Matt soon. Yeah, I would kind of like largely like to do that, I think, is what my next step is. Love that. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at cj.greco. That's cj.greco. And if you follow me this week, I'll be posting tons of content from the biggest week. So go and give me a follow. We'll be doing some awesome stuff for the biggest week.
Um, I might even do something special on my Instagram. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. So go follow me on Instagram at cj.greco. You can also find all of us on Instagram at the Birdie Bunch Podcast. Um, and we're found everywhere on Instagram, on Facebook, on Instagram and Facebook. You know, we do some awesome stuff. We post some really fun things on our stories. And we post some really awesome posts. So go give that a check out there. You can also visit our website, thebirdiebunchpodcast.com. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, we're doing a sale for merch for the end of the season, end of season two. This is our second to last episode of the season. So go to our merch store, again, thebirdiebunchpodcast.com, and click on the Support Us tab, click on the Merch tab, and you can go to our merch store. We have a new design for the end of the season. It's some migratory birds in a 70s-themed inspired design. It's really, really fun. So you can give that a check out. There is a discount code for 15% off. Use the code SEASON2, S-E-A-S-O-N, 2 is in the number 2. And yeah, you'll get 15% off, which is amazing. So go to our merch store and check that out. In addition, as I mentioned earlier, Patreon, amazing way to support us. Another way to support us is by leaving a review. If you leave us a five-star review, we'll read it out here on the podcast. Uh, and that's one way to support us. Another easy, free way to support the Pretty Bunch podcast is just by telling a friend about it. We are really, really excited every single time we have a new listener. So please tell a friend. We are growing every single day. So please go and share this podcast with a friend. That about wraps us up for this week. We will see you next week, nature lovers, for our last episode of season two. Oh my goodness. It's been such a fun ride. We'll see you in two weeks, nature lovers. Catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos and Connor Whitman for being our music producer. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.